It's Canada Day this week, and being in radio for the last few years, it's given me a lot of new perspectives about Canadian artists and Canadian music as a whole, even though in the past I have secretly held a few choice opinions on how Canada regulates Canadian content. Now, the nice thing about podcasts is that I'm not bound by CanCon whatsoever, but, you know, given the occasion, I thought it'd be fun to explore Canadian music. Not because I have to, but because I want to. I finally have a chance to really look around and really get what makes Canadian music stand out, and not just from hearing someone mention some Canadian city or some Canadian location in a song passively. We actually get to look, find out what in the sound itself makes it Canadian. So let's go on a journey together. This is The Tim Gavin Show, a holistic look at music. Happy Canada Day! This episode is my exploration of Canadian music. Even though I work in an industry legally required to play Canadian artists, I still never found myself deep diving too much into it, at least not until now. Now, I'm not really the kind of person to listen to a band just because they're in the same country. Quality is first and foremost what I look for, and I just try to find music and songs and bands that just interest me. If they're in Canada, that's a bonus, but if not, don't really pay too much attention to that. But more often than not, I find that I just end up listening to bands from outside of Canada. In fact, I've actually been leaning mostly towards listening to music from the UK in my own personal listening time. But the Canadian music that I do listen to, I find, in my opinion, is a little overlooked by Canada. Or at least by Canadian radio. Sometimes I understand just because, well, it might be a little abrasive, or might just not be that radio-friendly. But I still think that there's lots of Canadian bands and artists that I think don't get enough representation all over the country. Maybe they do. Maybe my perspectives are still a little bit limited. But searching out and listening to music from some areas was kind of hard. Now, I've listened to a lot of music this week, and I'm going to go into each Canadian province and territory and just tell you what I found from that area. This isn't a history because you can get so much more and much better history for all this music from someone within all these music scenes. But I just want to give you some starting points so we can all explore this music together. And I'm going to start in the far north because I don't think that even Canada really acknowledges the territories enough. Let's start off with the newest one. Nunavut. I do find it kind of difficult to separate music from Nunavut and music from the Northwest Territories because until 1999, they were the same thing and they were together. So I'm going to go by artists based on those regions as they'd be drawn from today. Now I can't speak for everyone, but until this week, I had never heard musicians or any singers from Northern Canada. But even just scratching the surface, I found some really cool stuff. Uh, first, Inuit throat singing, which is very different from throat singing in Central Asia. For one, it's mostly done by women, but the techniques are pretty different too, and it's so different from anything that I have ever heard, and I really like it. That led me to hearing Tanya Tagak, one of the most mainstream artists making this music. And I say mainstream because she collaborated with Bjork on her 2004 album Medulla, and released her debut album the next year. In addition to releasing her own music, she's also collaborated with July Talk, Weaves, and Buffy St. Marie, and also with Faith No More frontman Mike Patton on her second album, Oct Blood, which released in the States under Patton's record label, Ipecac Recordings. Home of bands like Spotlights, The Locust, Melvins, and 
pretty much every single band that Mike Patton is a part of. But the album that really drew me into her music is her third album, Animism. The title means the attribution of a soul to plants, inanimate objects, and nature, and the belief that a supernatural power organizes and animates the material universe. It really draws you in with a really cool take on Caribou by the Pixies, and then just takes you on a completely new journey from there. It's the winner of the Juno Award for Best Aboriginal Album in 2015, and it is fantastic. So if you want to explore this music, I think that that album is a really great place to start. Going over to the Northwest Territories, I got really hooked on Leela Gilday's music. Listening to her stuff, it's a really cool mix of folk, pop, a little bit of country in there too. Uh, check out her album Sedze for a more folkier sound, but North Star Calling is my favorite of her albums that I've checked out so far. Going into the Yukon, there are some pretty big deals that have come out of that territory. Uh, producer Joey Moy, who has worked for Nickelback, Theory of a Dead Man, and Florida Georgia Line, he was born in the Yukon, but he did relocate to BC in early childhood. Stefan Kosmenowicz, otherwise known as Cause, is another iconic producer, uh, originally from Whitehorse, and he's worked with a bunch of different mainstream artists, including Madonna, The Game, Meek Mill, Sean Hook, and most notably Dua Lipa. As for artists, one that really sticks out to me is Matthew Lean. Even though he was raised in San Diego, he spent his summers up in the Yukon and moved up there permanently at the age of 16. But what I find really interesting about him is that his biggest fan base isn't in Canada. It's in Taiwan and China. His first international release, Bleeding Wolves, got picked up by an indie label over there and somehow it just took off. And now he has millions of fans over there. Now there are a few different options for albums to check out. If you like instrumental or classical music, then check out the multiple album release Moving Through Twilight. I think a good four hours of music on there, and it is just super relaxing. His latest album, The Romantic Route 3, is great too, and has a lot of really cool features. And maybe it'll introduce you to some artists outside of Canada that you otherwise might not have heard before. So that is my very limited exposure of musicians from Northern Canada. But hopefully I've laid out some good starting points and I really hope that you'll check out more of this great music out because there is even more waiting for all of us. This is just the surface that I'm scratching right now. Anyways, I think it's time we got into more familiar territory or more familiar provinces. Starting in BC, which is one of a couple parts of Canada that I found really tough to pick out a favorite because of how many musicians are born and raised or just relocate there as soon as they get the chance. Uh, I mean, just in Vancouver alone, you have musicians like Dan Mangan, Brian Adams, Grimes, Tim Hecker, Bob Rock, Marianas Trench. It's also a pretty big destination for bands to record at. Brian Adams Warehouse Studio is located there and Nickelback, Three Days Grace, and The Tragically Hip, they've all made albums there. And a lot of bands come to Canada to work on music too. Mudvayne, ACDC, and Muse all recorded some pretty big albums at the Warehouse Studios along with countless other bands. But one of the greatest and most versatile musicians from BC, I think, has to be Devin Townsend. One of Canada's most iconic metal singers, really great guitarist, and I think he's laid down some of the heaviest music ever recorded. A lot of headbangers might know Strapping Young Lad, which mixed death metal and thrash metal together with a little hint of prog and industrial for that extra razzle-dazzle and originality. But his solo stuff is where he branches out way more though, still keeping it super heavy, but adding different influences including progressive rock, post-rock, ambient and drone, folk music. It's a really crazy mix. And some of his music is downright hilarious too. He has a couple of concept albums about an alien called Ziltoid the Omniscient who searches the universe for the perfect cup of coffee. 
and he even goes into country music territory with his Casualties of Cool side project. And he's worked with a lot of other big names in his and other bands' music. He remixed a song for Pendulum, he's played guitar on fellow BC band Frontline Assembly's 1995 album Hardwired, getting one of his first big breaks singing for Steve Vai's Sex and Religion album, and he even had some guest singers like Chad Kroger, Greg Puchato from Dillinger Escape Plan, Paul Masvidal from Cynic. Needless to say, I could go on. But a lot of great collaborations there, a lot of great music, and if you're into heavy metal, Devin Townsend, definitely someone you need to check out if you haven't listened to him yet. And I got a couple of different starting points if you're looking to check out his music. If you're looking to just jump straight into the weird stuff, check out Ziltoid the Omniscient, Deconstruction, and Empath. If you're looking for something just super heavy, listen to every single Strapping Young Lad album and Epic Loud. For something not too intense, something a little more accessible for everyone else, then you should check out Ghost, Terria, Casualties of Cool, and The Hummer. But I genuinely think that there is something for everyone in his music if they open up their minds a little bit more. And now we get into my home province, Alberta. There is definitely a pretty obvious pattern with Alberta's music scene. Lots and lots of country music. One of the biggest stars right now from Alberta is Brett Kissel, but you also have artists like High Valley, Terry Clark, Aaron Goodwin, and Ali making some success as well. But there is a lot more than just country. Of course, Nickelback is from Alberta. You also have Carisha Turner, Big Sugar, Kaiza, Tegan and Sarah, and Ruth B. And while I know that Skinny Puppy technically originated from BC, their frontman, Nivek Ogre, and an important earlier member of the band, the late Dwayne Godel, are both from Alberta. Edmonton and Calgary, respectively. And the message of many Skinny Puppy songs kind of goes against the grain of what you'd expect from Alberta. Now, because industrial music isn't for everyone, it's kind of hard to give a perfect starting point, but generally, their newer albums are more accessible. The Greater Rung of the Right is maybe the best place to start if you like dance music. And of course, don't forget to check out the New Wave trilogy of episodes that I did to learn more about their music there. But the albums Too Dark Park, The Process, and Vivisect 6 are all great industrial albums as well from Skinny Puppy. And Armas listens once you get into that genre a little bit more. Crossing over the border into Saskatchewan, and this is another province where I really learned a lot about his music in a short amount of time. Found out that Joni Mitchell was raised in Saskatoon and got her start playing in clubs around there. And... While I don't think she's as well-known outside of Canada, one of my favorite country singers, Just Moskaluk, is from Southeast Saskatchewan. Another familiar name that I found while doing research is Cree Summer. She's a voice actor who has been an important part of many people's childhoods for decades now, voicing characters on Rugrats, Codenamed Kids Next Door, Animaniacs and Tiny Toon Adventures, and so many more. But in the late 90s, she had a little bit of a music career too, releasing only one album in 1999 called Street Fairy, which was produced by Lenny Kravitz, who also plays most of the instruments on that album too, along with his guitarist Craig Ross. And I'm pretty sure most Canadians might recognize the band The Northern Pikes, formed in Saskatoon in the 80s. Now, a lot of their songs still staples for classic rock radio in Canada, mainly the songs Teen Land, Things I Do For Money, and She Ain't Pretty. If you're deep diving into their music, start with their debut Big Blue Sky, then check out Snow in June, and listen to their most recent album, 2019's Forest of Love. Almost out of the prairies now, going into Manitoba. Now, I'm a little more familiar with how much important music came from over there. Obvious big names like Tom Cochran, 
BTO and the Guess Who, and the Crash Test Dummies, also from Manitoba, along with Harlequin, The Watchmen, and Streetheart. Winnipeg is also home to a pretty decent punk and noise rock scene as well, with bands like Propagandi and Comeback Kid. But the one Manitoba band that stands out the most to me is a noise rock band called Ken Mode. Their last four albums all got Juno nominations, with 2012's Venerable winning the award for Metal and Hard Music Album of the Year at the Junos. They've also worked and toured with bands like Converge, Pelican, Mastodon, and Daughters. And if you're into sludgy, noisy, and heavy music with a lot of screaming, then Ked Mode is definitely the band to check out. Start off with their most recent album, 2019's Loved. You'll recognize it from the scary as hell artwork and work your way backwards from there. Ontario is another province that's really difficult to pick a single favorite from considering over half of Canada lives in just one small part of that province. And not only that, when bands go on tour, They'll only stop in Toronto when coming into Canada, but if anyone famous ever listens to this podcast, a single stop outside of the US does not make it a North American tour. Go to some other places in Canada after it's safe to go to concerts again, please. Especially because I have a hunch you'll want to be on the road for a while, you'll get a whole bunch of extra tour stops. You'll thank me later. And right now, Toronto's hip-hop and R&B scene is really blowing up thanks to Drake and The Weeknd and a whole lot of other great rappers coming from that scene. Uh, you also have Jack Soul, Julie Black, Party Next Door, Cardinal Official, and again, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Go deeper, you'll find some really cool stuff. You also have a lot of rock bands like Rush, Steppenwolf, Three Days Grace, Billy Talent. Again, that's just off the top of my head. So many more bands just from Toronto and that surrounding area alone. And I could go on for a while with a lot of obvious names, and I'm probably going to go with the most obvious of obvious choices when picking who I think is the most important band from that province. The Tragically Hip. I didn't really get into them as much as I should until Gord Downey passed away, but I really regret not diving into their music until it was too late, and I feel like I never really got to take part in a big part of being a Canadian by putting off really listening to the Tragically Hip. And if you are going to listen to them, don't just listen to their greatest hits, you go in and listen to every single album. My personal favorites are either Up to Here or Trouble at the Hen House. Exploring Quebec has been really interesting too, and while it's still an important part of Canada, it does obviously set itself apart culturally, not just with language, but also having a music scene that doesn't even get much exposure outside of francophone communities in Canada. But there's a lot of notable acts from Quebec. Chromio, Brian Van 3000, Leonard Cohen, Celine Dion, Voivod, Arcade Fire, and even more that I've missed. And I'm definitely going to have to explore more of this music later on too. But it was really cool doing a bit of a dive into francophone pop music. I really like listening to uh, Vita, Marc Dupree, and La Chican. One of my all-time favorite bands from Quebec, though, is Godspeed, You Black Emperor. One of the greatest and most revered experimental rock bands. Mostly instrumental, very, very dark music that has moments that feel kind of uplifting depending on which album you're listening to, but it's beautiful and dark and terrifying at times, but it's so, so good. Most fans will probably tell you to start with Lift Your Skinny Fist Like Antennas to Heaven, but you should also listen to F-Sharp, A-Sharp, Infinity, especially on vinyl and pretty much every one of their other albums. 
Now we're going into Atlantic Canada, where music runs deep into every part of culture over there. And I think the further east you get, the more interesting stuff you're going to find. Starting in New Brunswick, which has a pretty thriving country music scene since about the 1920s by the looks of things. Uh, some notable names include Julian Austin, Tristan Horncastle, and Maurice Bollier, known as Canada's King of the Banjo. And outside of country, you also have a pop singer, Mia Martina, who had a few hits around Canada. It's really fun exploring music from areas you're not familiar with, because... Usually you'll find some music that just blows you away for the first time that you hear it, which is what happened when I started listening to Lisa LeBlanc while writing this episode. She makes a really great mix of folk and rock, and her music is a mix of English and French lyrics depending on the song, and I really think there's something for everyone in here too. She also does a fantastic Motorhead cover, one of the best that I've ever heard in my life. So if you're going to check out her music, and I really think you should, Start with her most recent album, Why You Wanna Leave Runaway Queen, then listen to her self-titled album. Quickly going over to PEI, Canada's smallest province, and home to a lot of fiddlers, including Cynthia McLeod and Tim Chason of uh, Prince Edward Island folk band The East Pointers. There's a lot of indie rock from Prince Edward Island as well, including bands like Two Hours Traffic, Boxer the Horse, Paper Lions, and the indie pop group Always fronted by Molly Rankin, who is the daughter of John Morris Rankin, the fiddle player for the Rankin family. And speaking of the Rankins, let's move into Nova Scotia. Now, the Rankin family, probably one of the most well-known bands to come from there, but that province has such a large and diverse musical output, including uh, a rapper, Classified, uh, one of the best Canadian bands ever, Sloan, was founded in Halifax, and also, going back over to Prince Edward Island, it's also the home to frontman Chris Murphy. Bands like Winter Sleep and The Trues, uh, Sarah McLaughlin and Murray and Matt Mays, also from Nova Scotia, and... One of my favorite singers from that province right now has to be Rhea May, and she's had a ton of radio singles around Canada, but her albums are great too. Make sure that you listen to her debut, Under Your Skin. And now at last, we reach the other side of Canada, Newfoundland and Labrador, home to one of my favorite bands out of all Canadian artists, Great Big C. And for most people, they're kind of the first musicians that come to mind when they think of Newfoundland, but there is a lot more too. There's the Irish Descendants, the Dardanelles, the wonderful Grand Band. And Newfoundland and Labrador has such a rich history of folk music, much of which was unrecorded for a long time, but well preserved by the likes of Gerald S. Doyle in songbooks, then recorded by Omar Blondel, best known as Sagebrush Sam. Really interesting story about him, he stopped in Newfoundland to find some work on his way to Iceland from Saskatchewan. When looking for work at a local radio station, the station manager caught wind that he was a folk singer and asked him to play some songs from the Gerald S. Doyle songbook. At the time, a lot of those songs were not recorded, but then he was the guy who recorded them. Now, even though Great Big C is the most mainstream of Newfoundland's music, I still think they are a great starting point for all the fantastic songs from Newfoundland and Labrador. And the best way to start hearing Great Big C is with their live albums. Start there, then move into any of their studio albums, and you'll find a lot of great music in there. Alan Doyle and Sean McCann's solo albums are also just as great. And there you have it. It's a look at music from all over Canada. And keep in mind, this is just the surface that I've touched on. And heck, there's still a lot of bands that I didn't even mention. But, you know, we can always revisit this topic. I mean, think about all the great songs that aren't even recorded yet. Bands and artists all over the country working on some great music. Maybe planning on some shows when COVID-19 is all over. And speaking of, right now, 
it's more important than ever to support independent artists. Touring is how they make most of their money, so right now all we can do is buy music and merch wherever we can. Uh, best way to do that, I think, is just going over to their websites or go over to their Bandcamp page if they have one. Great way of supporting the artist directly. And one thing that I noticed a lot in Canadian music, going back to what sets it apart, is that no matter the genre, I find the music has a little bit of an underdog slash small town feel to it. I'm not sure if that's just because we're next door to the States, but sometimes you can just feel that an artist is Canadian before looking them up. But that's not to say Canadian artists haven't become worldwide hitmakers, especially nowadays. It feels like Canada is just huge on the world stage right now. And this week on Still the Number One, we're going to be going back to this week in 2012, when one of my favorite Canadian singers was topping the charts. All right, starting still the number one special guest this week, host of the Feminist Critique podcast, really great on movies and inclusivity. We got Ashleen Schufelt. How are you doing this week? Hello, I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Not bad, actually. You know, a lot going on right now. And, you know, Canada Day is coming up. I thought it'd be fun to go back to a simpler time, a time when a Canadian was also at the top of the charts. Yes, that was... Uh... It doesn't seem that long ago, but realizing that it was eight years ago is like bananas. It's, it is. Yeah. And it was just a really weird time. Where were you in 2012? 2012. Uh, well, it was just before the end of the world. So I was freaking out. Um, no, actually, I was, this was just before I went into radio school. So I had just applied. Um, about this time and uh, I got into the business admin but I didn't hear until several months later that I actually got into radio. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it must have been a very interesting time. Let's see, 2012. Um, this was in between high school and college for me. So I think 2012 I was working at a hotel, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. It was kind of boring, really. Like, you, you know how they say you get a whole bunch of crazy stories working at a hotel? Nah, not me. Not you. <laughs> not me. I, I missed out. I actually just got out of the military around this time. Like, I kind of forgot that because uh, my time in the service is almost like a blur. But now that I think about it, it's it's pretty crazy. Like, I, I around this time, I just got out of the military um and it was for like a medical thing so but it was it was kind of nice it was like oh okay freedom don't know what's gonna go happen but you know this song was on the charts and it's all I listened to yeah this was at a time where I was kind of a pop music snob like I mm -hmm. just didn't like pop music that much at all and little did I know that one day Carly Rae Jepsen would be the last concert that I see before we all quarantine. Really? I'm yep. so jealous. It was a great show. Oh my goodness. Oh, she's fantastic. Like this song is like uh, the one that everybody knows about, right? But oh my God, her, the album after this, like- Emotion, oh yeah. Emotion, yes. Like, and, and you have to say about Carly Rae Jepsen, she is- absolutely the most successful Canadian Idol contestant. Yes. I, I actually kind of forgot she was in Canadian Idol. She was. She she didn't go far, actually. Really? She, uh, yeah, I think she got like out on seventh or something. 
What? Yeah. But... By the way, this wouldn't. Nah, this. There's no way this wouldn't happen to be the same season with you know who. Which one? Jacob Hogard. Um, maybe. I I honestly couldn't even tell you who Jacob Hogard are, is. Lead but... singer of Headley and. You know, oh. he was in the in the news a few years ago about... Oh. Yeah. That's why I don't <laughs> like bringing him up. Yikes. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to say maybe, uh, but I, you know what? I never watched Canadian Idol. I, I do have kind of a funny story about this, actually. Um, so when I went into radio school, which was like very soon after this song hit the charts... Uh, one of the people in my program was actually Chad Doucette, who was in Canadian Idol. Really? I think he got, yeah, I think he got like fourth or something. Um, but no clue. Never watched the show in my life. D- couldn't even tell you, right? Anyways, all the girls were like, oh my God, is that him? Oh my God. And I'd always be like, what are they talking about? Like, is there something about this dude? Until somebody broke the news like in December. So I went like four months of like not knowing that Chad Doucette was an idol was in my class. I mean, to be fair, I would probably do the same thing. So no chance. Yeah, I couldn't even tell you. Like, didn't even know. But I just knew that there was, uh, oh yeah, she was, uh, she was in the same uh, one where the guy from Hamilton won. That was the only guy I ever knew because everybody was freaking out about uh, Brian Mello. Right. There's yeah. a name I haven't heard in forever. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just a total so. nostalgia trip. But yeah, uh, so what do you think about this song? Well, at the time I didn't like it, but... Going back and looking back at it, I, I think it's an amazing pop song. I think it's just really fantastically produced. It's catchy. And you know what? As far as I'm concerned, it's aged pretty well. And I really like the song. But at the same time, I wish so much that it wasn't her biggest song. No, I think that she does have way better songs now. I mean, it was just super catchy, right? And then... Also, like a little bit of a gay icon because, you know, at the very end of the music video, turns out the guy she was crushing on actually is gay and uh, was, you know, hidden on one of her bandmates. Right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So, which uh, I don't think I've seen the video in a long time, but I just watched it and I was like, oh yeah, that was the ending. And kind of looking back on this chart, I'm seeing a lot of songs that, again, wasn't a huge fan of at the time, but have slowly grown on me as time has gone on, especially in the number two spots with mm-hmm. Gauthier and Kimbra, somebody that I used to know. Oh, I love this song. Like, this was probably one of my favorite songs of that time. And I used to listen to, well, because I listened to a lot of radio at that time. Yeah. Um, Especially because I was living in Hamilton. And so I'd listen to all the Toronto stations. And, like, this was the song that was just always on. And for some godly reason i could not find it anywhere like i would try to go and download it and the only version i was able to download was the walk off the earth version really that's strange yeah i know it was very weird it was probably because i thought that walk off the earth were the ones that sang it but didn't realize it was somebody else yeah i've actually kind of noticed that sometimes sometimes like 
a hit song will just not show up on streaming or download places for Canada at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not really uh, sure why it does that. It's it's a little strange if you think about it. Yeah. I assume just label bullshit or something. I don't know. Most likely. I don't know. Canada has such weird... Well, having worked in radio, the two of us, like Canada has just such weird uh, rules in general. So it's just like... Why can't, like, why can't we just have everything that the U.S. has? I know, right? And it's kind of amazing, too. Like, when you think about it, so many great producers are Canadian. And oftentimes when a band gets big, they'll take their producers with them. Oh, yeah, which, uh, like, usually lucks out a little bit because then we get, you know, CanCon um, but unfortunately, in the case of uh, Carly Rae Jepsen, uh, she never did get, like, all of her music after the the first one was never actually CanCon. And I almost feel like that's the reason why I didn't get that popular in the U or in Canada was because we weren't playing it all the time. Definitely. You know, CanCon, it is kind of a double-edged sword. On one hand, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you just kind of feel locked in for sometimes when having CanCon artists, but then as soon as they get big, sometimes they'll just ditch CanCon altogether. Um, Like not only Carly Rae Jepsen, but Justin Bieber's done it. And most recently, Shawn Mendes. Yeah. They get so huge. And then they're like, well, you know what? But to you, Canada, I don't even care. I mean, it's not actually what happens, but it'd be kind of nice if they just kept it Canadian and then we could get our CanCon numbers by playing their music and then I don't have to play all of their old stuff over and over again. I know, right? And like, I don't know, it feels like good CanCon is hard to find. And that's actually something that me and Scott noticed while we were still in radio. Like there would Mm -hmm. be a lot of times where we'd go whole weeks without hearing any new CanCon. I find it's a little bit easier in country music, but when it comes to pop music, it's it's very few and far between. Like during uh, 2015, when we had like Drake on the charts and then The Weeknd and then Shawn Mendes, like that felt like it was really a glory moment where there was so much good CanCon out there, but it just, it it doesn't happen too often. And then it's just, it's pretty unfortunate actually. But one nice thing I've noticed is that I've noticed that The weekend he still, I think, records in Canada because most of his stuff still counts as CanCon. And oh, yeah, And a lot of definitely. Drake stuff does, too. They're loyal to Toronto. Oh, yes. good old Toronto. Taking all the good concerts from the rest of the country. Yeah. Well, having, like, lived really close to it, that was... I used to go to Toronto probably every weekend just so I could go to, like, a new concert. But it was all, like indie stuff from other countries because nowhere else would play them. Yeah. Though, I guess, to be fair, it is because half the country's population is within that one part of Ontario. Like, there is another issue, too, and that's because uh, the Canadian government, if they bring in a band that is, like, not them personally, but if a band comes into Canada, they have to pay a certain amount of money to play in Canada like to cross the border. I forget what it is. I don't know if it's 400 or 4,000, but it's like for small time bands, that's ridiculous. Absolutely. Like that sounds either 400 or 4,000 too much. Mm -hmm. Exactly. 
Yeah. And I mean, you know, if you're if you're looking for a cash cow, musicians aren't it. Yeah. Like just like don't don't tax the arts. Just let let the artists do their thing. Mhm. Exactly. So about the third song on here, I hate that song. Maroon 5 and Wiz Khalifa Payphone. Um I don't hate it, but it is at the point where Maroon 5 is just kind of losing their luster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, their well first like two I, albums, I will defend to the death, mm-hmm. but yeah. Oh yeah, Songs About Jane is fantastic. Um and and like Wiz Khalifa in this song is fantastic. I just feel like Maroon 5 has really at this point in 2012 like they were just coming off of their moves like Jagger. And then that was really like the last good song that I think that they came out with that was like actually really good. Like since then they haven't really come out with anything that's been like, you know, a banger. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. Wait's an all right song, but yeah, I'm kind of with you there. Like after everything after moves like Jagger is just kind of eh. I completely agree. (laughs) Good old Maroon 5. There, I think... In between Imagine Dragons and Maroon 5, they're probably like the two bands that get dragged the most. Like they are the new Nickelback. Oh no. (laughs) That's the thing. I couldn't even tell you what Imagine Dragons looks like. Like I I know their music and I know that they come out with music quite frequently. And I really liked that one that they came out with, Radioactive. But I, I couldn't even tell you like a song. Uh, They did one a while that was basically like, We've made it, Mom. Yeah. Going down the charts here, uh, we have Fun with Janelle Monet. We are young. Oh, that song is fantastic. That song, like... Uh, so I was partying a lot during this time period. Uh, just basically from 2009 to 2012, I was out quite often. And this was just kind of one of those songs that back in that day when, you know, sh- shitty days in, like hanging out with your friends and doing stupid stuff. Like that's what this song kind of brings me back to of being like 22 years old and getting shit faced at the bar. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. And that whole album I think is actually aged pretty well, but oh, really? I'm kind of sad that fun aren't together anymore, but at the same time, I love Jack Antonoff's production. And I wonder if he wouldn't be as big as he is now if fun hadn't broken up. Is that where he came from? I couldn't even, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even know that. I like. I know of him, but I didn't like. I and I know Fun too, but I didn't realize that it was him in the in the band. I didn't really follow the actual people that were in bands. It was just like, oh, that song from that thing. Yep, oh, <laughs> that's all right. I, I'm I'm like that with bands sometimes too. Like mainly One Direction until all the guys in that band started to do solo careers. But what makes you beautiful? It's a banger. Yes, this is a really good song. Um, don't really like the message, but I mean, it is a fantastic song. And and this was like, this was a time period where uh, like One Direction was huge, especially with preteen girls and like teenage girls. So like they were the new Backstreet Boys essentially, right? Except Backstreet Boys are still together. Yeah. In but sync? do you think yeah, if One Direction better. got back together, do you think it would be bigger than the Backstreet Boys? Oh, absolutely. I I do feel like that. Well, that's the thing. The Backstreet Boys are still together. Like, they're still, like, doing music together. It's just not good. I mean, some of it's okay. But 
Uh, I feel like if One Direction, they shouldn't do it if they were to get back together for at least another 10, 15 years. I feel like it would be too soon now. But I, I tell you, if they come out with an album in like 10 years, it's going to be huge. I think so. And one thing that I think would be really cool too is if they were to get back together, they come together not just as a boy band, but as a band. Like they each play different instruments. They still like do like all the all their regular lead vocals, mm-hmm. but they just play some instruments along with it too. Well, it's kind of like, like how, um, so the Jonas Brothers kind of recently got back together. Like I would say within the last year. And like, that was huge. And their song that they came out with was like fantastic. So I mean, to see One Direction get back together, I don't know. Everybody is always on the the nostalgia train. And uh, especially if you were like a 13-year-old girl in 2012, you'd be all over that. Just, it's a little too soon right now. It's kind of amazing how much affection we have for for this chart because like we're not even outside of the top 20 yet and we're already just finding so many different songs that we are so nostalgic. Is there any song on this chart that you think tops Carly Rae Jepsen? What song do you think should have been number one? You know what song I I feel should have gone a little bit higher? Titanium by uh, David uh, Guetta and uh, and Sia. Like, I I just, I love that song so much. And it only ever made it to 15. You know, I'm kind of with you there. That was a great song. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that was, like, uh, I think right around the time when Sia was starting to get huge in North America, not just being featured, but also kind of on her own, too. Well, that's the thing. Sia, uh, Sia was technically a mistake, right? Like, she was never supposed to actually become as famous as she did because Sia was a songwriter, and, like, that was it, right? Yeah. And the story be- behind her getting popular, and I don't know if it was this song or... Uh, another one but basically she did the vocals because she was writing a song and she was like trying to get to the producer like this is how the song goes right and she sent in like her original like mute or her original voice and I think it was either like Fergie or somebody else that was supposed to actually do the vocals on the song I think it was Rihanna actually oh okay but yeah uh whoever the producer was like listened to Rihanna and then listened to Sia and was like, and no, I'm just going to go with your stuff and then I'll put your name on it or whatever. And and, like, that's how it went. Like, and then she like that song blew up and then uh, every song afterwards where they would get her to like, you know, uh, sing it. But that's why she, uh, when she got popular during that time period, why she had like, she was always covering her face is because she's actually pretty shy. Yeah. And I know like, she wanted to be out of the spotlight and then all that happened. Well, that's the thing with that. Like I was told when it comes to like radio and music and stuff, the money is not in singing the music. Not at all. No, the it's real in writing money, and publishing. Oh yeah. Like if you get your name on a like hit song, you get way more money than you could even imagine. Um, it's almost like, cause there's a few Canadians out there that do a lot of songwriting, but it, it doesn't really go CanCon because of that. But you know, Jessie Reyes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know she's yeah. written a whole bunch of different songs. She's oh, actually yeah. written, like, I think one of my favorite songs of the last couple of years too. 
Oh yeah, probably. Like she's, there was a time where like she was, her name was on like a few huge songs. Like um, Dua Lipa, uh, there was one of her songs, like Jesse Reyes uh, actually wrote that and like wrote another one that was like within the top five, uh, I want to say about two years ago. So yeah, she is. Uh, and, and that's the thing. I love her. Her actual voice is fantastic, but it doesn't get enough recognition. Like she's only ever actually sung on a few of like her own stuff, but it, it's never become almost like um, Alicia Cara. Like she, she never got quite to that. But I mean, she's probably making money hand over fist with just writing. Oh, probably. Like a lot of those, uh, those albums and EPs that Jesse Reyes is putting out, I wonder if they're just like for fun. If, if anything, just from like having stuff to do after writing all those successful singles. Oh, I got some money. Why not make my own thing for a little while just for fun? No, that's what I would do personally. Right? Absolutely. Um, but otherwise, what do you think? Carly Rae Jepsen, Call Me Maybe. Is it still the number one? Yeah, it's still number one in my heart. Um, but I still feel like Emotion is is the best album of 2015 and nobody can tell me otherwise. It should have won top album. It should have won all the awards. It's actually a cult favorite, right? Yes. Because it has this um, more mature, like, like sound to it. It almost has like this 1980s. Yes, uh, And exactly. it's really too bad that like the lead single from that actual album was I Really Like You, which is a good song, but I feel like they put it too much of like her old stuff to try to get her like going. But I yeah. feel like if they would have come out with um what like one of the other songs like Run Away With Me or which I mean became kind of Vine famous in its own way, right? Yeah. So um yeah, best album ever and a five out of five years in a row. Like it will always be my number one album. Yes. And I don't Preach. I don't care. Yeah. I am totally with you there. If you look around, you'll find a whole world of Canadian music and a lot of bands or artists that could become some of your favorites. Sometimes I wonder if things would be a little different, if more artists would gain popularity, if CanCon rules were slightly adjusted. But as it stands right now, I think it does serve as a great starting point for diving into Canadian music. But at the end of the day, it's still up to us to seek out the stuff that we like. So I hope that you'll go even deeper, go off the beaten path, find something completely different that you'll learn to like. Next week, my friend Scott Mitchell will be coming back for Stolen Number One, but in the meantime, thank you to my friend Ashleen Schufelt for joining us this week on The Tim Gavin Show. Don't forget to check out The Feminist Critique. A link to that podcast is in the description. Don't forget to like us on Facebook, share this podcast with the music lover in your life, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts as well. Thanks for listening to The Tim Gavin Show, a holistic look at music, and happy Canada Day.